song number 17. Brother Harold has selected and chosen for us to mark for a song of encouragement in just a few moments. And we look forward to the opportunity of yet lifting our voices again in marvelous praise and adoration to God. And certainly as we give some thought to the wonder of prayer as we've already enjoyed this evening, the precious blessing of it, the opportunity to sing praises of great and glorious goodness to God, and to uplift and encourage each other. It is good for each of us to be able to be together tonight, and we are thankful for all who have come our way, our membership and visitors alike. With the Pippin congregation, just desire to be given by that motto of Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you, and we desire to merely be that which we find described in the New Testament record, certainly no less than that, and certainly no more either. At this point tonight, as we come to this portion of our worship in which we give some thought to the Word of God, I would ask that you note with me a lesson entitled, The God of All Comfort, based on that text that was read in our hearing from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. On that occasion, again, it was the inspired apostle who made reference to the God of All Comfort. And that has been such a tremendous passage, no doubt, for many throughout the centuries. Perhaps you as well as I have been reminded of its greatness. Perhaps in great tribulations and trials of life, circumstances that seem virtually overwhelming and yet, we could still read about the God of all comfort, who was able to provide the sustenance and strength even in the most trying of times. Tonight I would ask that we each give some thought to the God of all comfort and perhaps revisit ways in which we can each be personally benefited by never forgetting Him but ever relying on Him regardless of the problems, troubles, and difficulties that might come our way. In this opening slide, I have perhaps raised some points that may bring back memories to each of us that are not always terribly pleasant. Each of us have our own personal histories and backgrounds, and you might can remember times in which you really were tried greatly. Something happened. Maybe a whole host of things occurred that shook your faith, as it were, perhaps brought you to great trying tears and times. Nonetheless, through it all, I hope we each would have been wise to remember the God of all comfort and to remember that we can turn to Him and appreciate He has promised to meet the needs in life and to buoy up our spirit by the great promise and power and potential of His Word. It is with thoughts like that in mind that might we never forget that God is presented to us in the Word of God as the greatest answer to all the greatest questions in life. It is He who has the answer. He has provided all that we need to know in this life to make it from here to the great life beyond. If only we will search diligently His Word, rightly divide it, and apply that which we learn to our life and our belief system. With those thoughts in mind, I would ask you to then reconsider this for opening chapter of 2 Corinthians and let us delve deeply into it and at least raise some interesting points and then use them for the, for the remainder of our lesson tonight. Indeed, the God of all comfort. As we begin that particular idea, let's at least briefly make note of the passage itself. For as we've noted, it is so terribly powerful. That power has been utilized by many in many different situations and trying times in life. The God of all comfort of verse 3 is the same God of verse 4 who it says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
that was an inspired penman who again affirmed in verse 4 that it is God who comforts us in all our tribulations, not just a few of them, not just some of them, not just one occasionally, but he says who comforteth us in all our tribulations. Paul, what tribulations might you have in mind? What difficulties did you encounter? And you might notice he did say us. Paul included himself in this. What did Paul face? What did he experience that would have led him to remind the Corinthians that he, as well as they, had known the blessed beauty and the marvelous matter of God's comfort to him as well as them? Verse 8 may be a hint. We will not be able in the time allotted tonight to look at all that might be said, but we will look at enough to at least place it in the proper context. In verse 8, Paul wrote, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. If you and I were to revisit the book of Acts, and look at the placement and the order and the sequencing of his missionary journey that finally led him to Corinth, we would discover that before coming to Corinth, he had spent some time in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, an uproar was raised in the 19th chapter of Acts, in which Paul, in fact, and others that were with him were brought into a placement and placed in prison. And the great difficulty that surrounded them there even led Paul and his companions to despair even of life. Would their lives be taken? Would their lives no longer survive, but rather would they be put to death because of their steadfast devotion and loyalty to the God of heaven? Paul said in verse 8, we despaired even of life. I would submit to you that would be one occasion in which one could remember the God of all comfort when we have reached the end of our rope and we are in a position of despairing even of the quality and character of life itself. May we never forget there is a God of all comfort. Notice furthermore in the next chapter. In chapter 2, verse number 12, we have at least quickly mentioned another matter that greatly troubled Paul. He said, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, you see, as we learn again from the book of Acts, Paul had dispatched Titus to go to a particular place and to return with him with news and information. And yet when Paul reached the designated place, Titus was not there to meet him. Paul was greatly beside himself and thought, wondering what has happened to Titus. Did that congregation receive the letter that I sent to them? Did they receive it the way I intended? Or did they harm Titus? Did they have ill will and ill feelings for me? At any rate, Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit. Have you ever been troubled in your spirit? Wondering what perhaps something may have been said or maybe you have done that may have agitated or have been taken the wrong way by someone else? Were you beside yourself in spirit as well? Like Paul, if you and I have been in that case, may we not forget that there is a God of all comfort who is able to provide a thoroughfare, a channel, if you will, that can lead us to brighter days ahead. In chapter 11, perhaps a passage to which you've already turned in your mind, Paul listed many things that he experienced. If I can only ask you to read at least a portion of that with me, I believe we will have laid enough of a foundation to push forward with our lesson tonight. In chapter 11 of the 2 Corinthian letter, 
Paul, in verse 23, wrote these words. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." It would perhaps not at all be an overstatement to say that Paul, in amongst experiencing all of that, endured at one time or another virtually any matter that you and I will ever be called on to face, be it perils of whatever variety, troublings in our mind, whatever the source may be, difficulties both physically, even despairing of life. Amongst it all, Paul could nonetheless write about the God of all comfort. Isn't that a lovely thought? No matter what might come our way, May we never lose sight of that anchor that is dropped down from the God of all comfort, who will allow us to be indelibly etched and linked to Him in such a fashion that we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul as well in the marvelous refrain of Hebrews 6, verses 17 to 19. With those thoughts in mind, where do we go from here? What are some things in which we might well remember then the God of all comfort? I put together a listing, and I hope that these things might be helpful. You'll notice the second element on the list, the one that follows our consideration of the passage, the matter of fear. Have you and I been fearful on occasion? Times when fear has greatly agitated, bothered us, maybe caused us to lose some sleep? Let us revisit and ask how the God of all comfort can assist us even in waging the war against the matter of fear. If we revisit the 34th Psalm, in Psalm 34, verse 4, in the days of the ancient past, the psalmist there, David, made this statement, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. We well remember that David had his life threatened by King Saul on more than one occasion. He was often bothered by the character of his own demons, if he please, within, in the committing of adultery and murder. David was a man who, you see, had many problems. And yet he could nonetheless testify that God had heard his plea when he, of course, repented and returned to God, and furthermore had delivered him from fear. In Psalm 56, 11, that same writer said, In God have I put my trust, and I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. In the New Testament record, isn't it amazing to hear the Lord then say in Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them which can kill the body, but have no more that they can do, but fear him which can kill both body and soul in hell. Thus, from the lips of Jesus, we have a means of placing fear in its proper perspective. And thus, when we consider that often fear may come our way from the things of man, may we not succumb to that, but understand that fear rightly in those matters belong to God. Perhaps beyond the matter of fear, what about worry? Do you know someone who is overcome with worry? Maybe you so often and I find ourselves worrying too much. 
Listen to some of the things the Bible has to remind us about fear, about worry. For isn't it true? God has promised to meet the needs of those who are his faithful children, those who are his saints. In Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus made reference to things like the lilies of the field. He made reference to matters like the birds of the air. And in that context, he said, God takes care of them. Will he not take care of you as well, O ye of little faith? And he summarizes that so succinctly in verse 33 when he said, in words like this, he said, if you and I will place our confidence and trust in him, as we seek him and his ways, his kingdom, he said he will provide all those things for us. Thus, we have a sure proof warfare against worry, don't we? One final thing that I put on that slide there that you might take note of. The word worry comes from an ancient Greek word that means to divide the mind. And thus, when you and I are given to worry, that means our mind is divided. Part of it is determined and dedicated and devoted to a pursuit of these physical things over which we're worrying. The other part may be well reserved for something else. But notice, to divide the mind is to commit error. We must not have divided mind in that matter, and hence to worry in that regard is simply wrong. That means we are not trusting enough in the God who loved us and in his promises to care for us. In Philippians 4, verse 6, in fact it says, Let be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. You'll notice with me in the American Standard that reads, In nothing be anxious. Thus, we should strive to ever not be overcome with worry, but to understand God will provide for his children, his saints, his own, and that that ought to allow us not to be given to this overmuch worrying. In addition to fear and worry, consider yet another matter in which God is the God of all comfort, and he has words that can assist and aid us so greatly. The matter of despair. Do you know someone, maybe yourself or myself, that has been in a position of despair. By definition, to be in despair is to be in a position of little or no hope. When you think that you have reached the end of your way, where else can I turn? I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried the other, there has been no help for me. I'm in a position of despair. It is in a position like that. Let us notice where God enters. In Jeremiah 29, 11, in the days of the ancient Hebrews, the children of Israel, they had almost reached the end of their rope, hadn't they? Here they were in the very position of soon entering into captivity in Babylon. They had committed sin and an error, and there was nowhere they could turn to escape the justice and wrath of the just God of heaven. In verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, God said, I know the thoughts that I think concerning you to bring you into an end full of hope. You see, they may have thought they were hopeless, but God said, I know what my plans are concerning you, and I will bring you to a place of great hopefulness. As if that weren't enough, in Romans fifteen thirteen in the New Testament, near the close of that Roman letter, the great apostle Paul again could write, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing that you too may be filled with hope. For those that are committed to God, there should never be a time that we consider ourselves hopeless. Because through us, God can bring great good to not only us, but others. And hence, may we not be given to despair. 
But in addition to despair, what about anger? When we approach matters of being angry, does God have words of wisdom and comfort and great joy with respect to even that? For sometimes anger can come to you and to me in such a way we can respond in ways that are not good. In Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and sin not, the inspired writer penned. And hence it isn't wrong to be angry, but what can be wrong is when that anger is allowed to proceed where it should not go. As you and I then ponder the matter of anger, maybe we can with that consider the sister passages in Romans the 12th chapter. Verses 12 on through verse 21. Many things could be stated that can help you and me daily to not allow anger to go too far. In fact, in verse number 14 and 15, we especially read, Bless them that persecute you. When that person who is so mean and ugly toward me and seems to in fact take great joy in depressing me, maybe I should take the opportunity to pray for that person. For as my enemy, man, Jesus affirmed in Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45, to perhaps use that as a tool to aid me. In verse 18 of Romans 12, As much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Three verses later, in verse 21 of that same chapter, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Maybe we can be an instrument to help that person see how cruelly they are able to act. And perhaps in time they will become not only one who doesn't do that, but one who may be a trusted companion or friend of ours. Anger indeed, God can also be the God of all comfort, even with respect to that. Tired or weary. Does God have anything to say that might help you or me approach times when we feel tired and we feel weary? Maybe we feel like we've just trudged as far as we can trudge and it's time to perhaps give up on that matter. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, the closing verse of that very beautiful chapter in many ways, but on that occasion he said, But wait on the Lord, for they that wait on the Lord shall mount up as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. In fact, he says, they shall walk and not faint. Isn't that lovely to hear the ancient writer make statements about how God will provide strength and they shall be able to receive it. But notice it was they that wait on the Lord are the ones who were promised this. Hence, when we're tired or weary, perhaps we should give some thought to where does God stand in our plans? Maybe we're exhausting ourselves by not pursuing what God would have us to pursue. Maybe we're misdirecting our energies and our talents. With regard to that question, perhaps we can recall the Lord's promise in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. Sometimes called the great invitation, note again how this addresses those that are tired. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That passage, of course, directly addressed being tired and weary. He said, The Lord will give you rest. Later we find in Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10, as there we have this interesting encouragement and this very beautiful admonition, he encourages us to ever be ready to do good unto all men, especially to them who are the household of faith. But that's preceded by that lovely passage of not being weary in well-doing. For did he not write, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season 
we shall reap if we faint not. Thus, let us not be weary and tired to the point we forsake the bidding of God. We overlook and neglect the matters he has set before us. He will give us the strength. He'll provide us with the sustenance. And notice again, just like eagles, we'll mount up with wings and we shall be able to pursue and to, in fact, fly to that place that he wishes us to be. In addition to tired or weary, what about those who can be depressed or sad? Does God have any words of comfort to those that might be in that category? Have you found yourself sad and depressed on occasion? Perhaps all of us at times have been closer to that than we have been at others. I would notice that as we consider that, to be in a position of sad or depression is to relate to great unhappiness, to great sorrow. It is a matter that relates to being low in spirit, in fact, by definition. What does God have to say to issues like that one? In the sacred text of Psalm 128, beginning in verse 1, we have a very beautiful and lovely promise. I would ask you to take note of how that reads with me. The first two verses of the 128th Psalm, it is an overwhelmingly powerful passage. It reads simply as follows, Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. My friend, that's a lovely promise, isn't it? To those who thus wait on the Lord, verse 1, that seek to walk in his ways, God promises, happy shall you be. If you and I are unhappy, no doubt the principal reason is we are not following the passage of Psalm 128, verses 1 and 2. We've deviated too far from the blessed walkway that leads to everlasting life. We've given too much thought to the things here that surround us, and we've allowed them to bring us to sadness and depression. Maybe we would do far better to rely on the things of God and follow the blessed ways He has set forth, and He's promised happiness. In Psalm 144, verse 15, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. If you and I of us are his people, we can understand the happiness that can fill our spirit and that lifts our spirit high, far higher than anything man can strive to reach unto it with. With these matters of sadness and depression, maybe verse 5 of Psalm 146 will place the icing on that cake. For in that particular passage, notice what is said here about happiness. Psalm 146, verse number 5. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Do you and I place our hope in the God of Jacob? Do we, in fact, require and seek to him as our help? If so, happy shall you and I be. Perhaps we can look at an eighth one. In what other way may God help us when we find issues in which we need comfort? What about loneliness? Are you and I given to loneliness? Do you know someone who is afflicted with the thought of loneliness? In the thought of loneliness, may I ask you to note that's merely a feeling that no one is with you, that no one is with me. But listen to what God has to say concerning these thoughts or these feelings of loneliness. In Deuteronomy 31.6, there nestled not far from the end of that interesting book, God told the children of Israel that in fact as you deviate neither to the left nor right, I will ever be with you. I will ever be with you. 
as perhaps is coupled with that marvelous refrain in Hebrews chapter 13. In verses 5 and 6, it was there the promise of the Master, the Savior himself, who cautioned us against covetousness, but then went on to say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is a case in point of taking us to the great crescendo of the closing verses in Matthew 28. To those apostles he said in verses 19 and 20, Go into all the world, did he not? And as he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. The Lord promised to be with those apostles, and in that text of Hebrews 13, he's given his assurance of being with you and with me as well. We thus can appreciate there is an ever-powerful and present friend with us. We need not then have those pangs of loneliness in which we think that there's no one with us, not even the great God of heaven. For the Jesus has promised in his word that's not the case if we're loyal to him. In addition to loneliness, what about when you hurt? Times when you have been hurt... Again, that too happens so often in this society that seeks so often its own. Isn't it true that selfishness often leads one to hurt somebody else? When a person acts with total disregard for the thoughts, the feelings, and the cares of another, you're almost bound to hurt them in one way or another. For when I run roughshod over the thoughts and the desires and the needs of someone else, I lead to hurting them. Does the Bible have any words of comfort and wisdom in these times when a person is hurting? I would submit to you that just as surely as God has the words of addressing every need and every emotional consideration in life, he also has words to address those who hurt. You'll notice near the bottom, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, that passage we just read earlier tonight, Paul had often been hurt himself. His own countrymen had turned against him. He had been chased out of one city after another, and yet he nonetheless could write about a God of all comfort. When I'm hurting, God has the words of comfort. He can provide those words to lift my spirit, to cause me to look better at perhaps those who have hurt me. But not only that, it is to that passage we can recall the closing verses of 1 Thessalonians 4. In fact, it was on that occasion, beginning especially in verse 13, that Paul spoke about an issue and a matter, and he closed it with these thoughts in verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. What words did Paul speak? And what words did he deliver? He delivered these words about the grand beauty of what will happen when the Lord returns. How that, in fact, the trump shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise. And in fact, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We shall meet the Lord in the air, gathering with him in the clouds, and forever with him shall we be. That ought to be a word of comfort, even when I'm hurt, and even, in fact, when another has sought to injure or hurt me. Maybe we each can see how God could penetrate our spirits and our thoughts and allow us to feel words of comfort even when we have been hurt. Besides matters of sadness and loneliness and being heard, we can add some more emotional thoughts to this list. What about when you're discouraged? Does God have words of comfort even in matters of discouragement? When you and I feel that we're discouraged, it is perhaps to be noted we ought to have great trust in the one. And notice I capitalize the word one. 
When you and I feel discouraged, may we never lose sight that there is one who knows our plight, who knows the effort and labor that has been invested in, who is well aware of what has taken place and has led to our discouragement. Challenges indeed there will be. But he encourages us in verses like this. In Psalm 55, verse 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. In First Peter 5, verse 7, Casting thy burden upon him, for he careth for you. May we thus not forget God does care. And when you feel discouraged, go to the Lord in prayer and lay that burden upon him. Perhaps there will be a door of opportunity open not many days hence in which you shall be able to proceed out of that great difficulty and turmoil and into a place that you can feel the very greatness of God's blessing in that, in that light. Paul knew well about discouragement, didn't he? Do you remember that list we just read? Can you perhaps hear Paul say, But God, I am trying to preach thy word, and I have nonetheless been shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, left in perils here and there, a day and night in a deep. Did Paul have opportunity for discouragement? Absolutely. But nonetheless, did he emblazon the Roman Empire with the gospel? Did he carry it on missionary journeys and establish congregations wherever the Lord would allow him to do so? Certainly he did. And we today still benefit from the greatness of his labor. May we, like him, not let discouragement cause us to be unfruitful or to cause us to quit and throw up our hands and just give up. Paul didn't. He knew that there was a mighty reward waiting those that were devoted and faithful. And it wasn't to that reward he referred in the closing chapter that he ever wrote, as far as we know. In verses 6 through 8 of 2 Timothy 4, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearing. And thus, like Paul, let us not be given to discouragement, but rather to encouragement. So much so that maybe we can look at number 11 in our list. Sometimes one of the greatest things that can bring discouragement is health problems. When we're sick, it's often been noted that one maybe doesn't realize what a great blessing health is until we don't have it. Until we find ourselves in a hospital or bedridden or no longer able to do what we had perhaps not many days for before been able to do. When we're sick, does God have any words of comfort even when we're in that state? Indeed he does. Would you look with me to James 5 verse 16? In fact, beginning in verse 13 of that chapter. But we'll cast the spotlight on verse 16 in which there he said, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer avails much is what the sacred writer said. We hear, of course, often in our prayers, pray for those who are sick. And those who make announcements encourage us to remember them in our prayers. May we never forget to do so because prayer is powerful. He said the effectual fervent prayer avails much. In addition to that passage, we can readily appreciate the text of Revelation 21.4. There, as the Bible nears its close, that great writer John gave us a portrait and a picture about a place where there is no sickness. All of us here, though we might be sick, we can realize how tough and difficult that is, but we never ought 
to remove our eyes from being fixated to that place where there is no sickness, where the body isn't ravaged with disease and infirmities, where things do not overwhelm us in terms of physical debilements, but rather all the while we're able to understand in that place there is in fact no sickness like that, no sorrow that comes therefrom, and no death as the final result either. You might notice the final verses that encourages us even in light of our sickness. In Romans 8, verse 18, Paul wrote, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Interesting, isn't it? The sufferings of this present time don't hold a candle, Paul said, to the glory that will be revealed in us. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, a sister passage to that one, he said, For I reckon that this light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This light affliction, Paul said, oh, how sickness can often be so negative and bring so many thoughts to our mind. But notice God even has words of comfort even when we face sickness. Beyond sickness, do you ever feel defeated? Do you feel as though you've given your best effort? You have tried every thoroughfare you know to try to accomplish some end that you deem to be good, and yet every channel seems to be closed. Every road has a roadblock sign on it. Every road seems to have a detour. Do you ever feel defeated? May I ask you to notice that victory is assured for the faithful. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14, he said that the Lord always leadeth us in triumph in Christ. Do you mean that, Paul? The Holy Spirit had him dependent, didn't he? For you and I can see that we are always led in triumph in Christ. Victory is ours. Christ already won it at Calvary. You and I, if we simply tie on to him, will appreciate the grandeur and glory that our sufficiency is not in ourself. It is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. With those thoughts of sufficiency being found in him, is it not to be noted in Psalm 121, verses 3, 5, and 8, that God, even in that era, promised victory to those that were his own? Thus, when the world so often tells us that we can't win, that we are defeated and dejected already, may we not lose sight of the fact God has a different message than that. His message is one of victory, one of triumph. And isn't that highlighted in the Revelation? In chapter 6, when the fifth and sixth seals were opened, especially the sixth one, in which the saints, in fact, who had been beheaded for the cause of Christ, found themselves beneath the altar, notice it appeared as though they were defeated. It appeared as though their end had come. And yet, though that message was in chapter 6, what do we find 14 chapters later? That same group who formerly had been viewed as if under the altar were now sitting on thrones reigning with God. They were victorious, you see. And thus, may you and I ever understand the victory belongs to those that are the faithful. This world has a different story to tell, but God's word is forever true, isn't it? It perhaps is to be noted in light of that message of defeatedness and God's corresponding message of victory that we come to what shall be our last set for the night. Some other thoughts that help and challenge us in this way as well. When you feel tempted, we each understand temptations are all about us. But when you face that matter of temptation, does God have words of comfort that will allow us to face and even overcome the matters of temptation? 
as we each understand the setting forth of temptation in the Bible, consider these passages with me. In Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1, when our Savior was so sorely tempted on those three occasions by the devil himself, Jesus made use of the Word of God three times, and he defeated the devil. It is written, he said, quoting from Deuteronomy 4. It is written, he said, again quoting from Deuteronomy. And one last time, it is written. Thus, when you and I are thoroughly conversant with the sacred text, we will be able to utilize the marvelous and powerful Word of God to aid us in overwhelming and overcoming temptation. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse number 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. With regard to passages like that one, perhaps to them, can we not add perhaps two more? In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, maybe a passage we've each relied on on many occasions, this promise of God himself. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but also with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We have the assurance then of heaven that no temptation will face us that is so mighty and so strong that we are not able to defeat it by pursuit of a way of escape that God will make available. Do you and I find the ways of escape as often as we should? If not, maybe we aren't as knowledgeable of this as we should be, and maybe we don't trust in the Lord as thoroughly as we should. For isn't it true in light of all of that in James 4 verse 7? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. That is a surefire way of approaching temptation, isn't it? And in overwhelming it. Perhaps in addition to that, in the 14th of our messages tonight, does God have words of comfort when you and I feel betrayed? When someone has gone so far in a proverbial fashion to jab a dagger into your heart, when they've betrayed you, you placed your trust in them, you considered them perhaps a dear friend, and yet the time had come that they turned against you. When you feel betrayed, does God have any words of comfort even in situations like that? I suspect one of the first things he would be apt to mention is the very circumstances concerning his son. Was the Lord betrayed? He had selected 12 devoted followers, and one of them ultimately betrayed him. One of them sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. One of them, in fact, though having the power to cast out demons and do any number of other mighty things that the others had the power to do, he looked all of that in the mouth and betrayed the Son of God. That was prophesied to happen in Psalm 41, beginning in verse 9. And there it even reads that, My dearest friend betrayed me. Jesus knows well about being betrayed. And thus he is able to come to the aid of you and me when we feel betrayed. Hebrews 2.18 says he can succor them, that means aid or help, those who are in need of being helped. Thus, even when we feel betrayed, the words of the Scripture are there to comfort us, there to provide us with that comfort needed to overcome and to go onward. Perhaps in matters like that one, we come to our 15th and final consideration tonight. Issues of celebration. You see, all the ones we've listed so far have been negative. Things like sickness, depression, loneliness, sadness, betrayal. But you see, we mustn't forget God even when the times are good. 
when the times of joy and celebration and jubilation are ours, we also should return to him then and find in his word those commandments and those statements that help us put it all in proper perspective. For even when the times of joy and celebration are ours, we should not be lifted up in haughtiness and pride. We shouldn't be lifted up to the point we think that we did it by ourselves and overlook the fact that we are the ones that for whom God made that to happen. In fairness, I've listed a whole host of things such as joy and satisfaction, success and contentment and love and peace, and to those we might add happiness and grace. In Psalm 68, 19, we read, Blessed be the God our Father who daily loadeth us with benefits. Thus, we should be thankful that God does give us those good things when we have the blessedness of receiving them. Furthermore, we notice in Psalm 116, verse 12, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? Maybe each of us should greatly spend time thanking God in prayer. For we could perhaps pray all night and never complete the list of all he's done for us. But as we notice in that question, what shall we render to him for all his benefits to us? That passage goes on to list a heart of devoted service, a heart of devoted sacrifice and obedient love to do that which he has bade us to do. To those we might add Ephesians 5 verse 20 and 1 Timothy 4 verse 4 in which we note the thanksgiving that should fill our heart due to what God has brought into your life and mine. But tonight have we been able to see that God is the God of all comfort. No matter what the emotional matter in life might be, no matter what the circumstance that you and I might be called on to face, there is something in the Word of God that will help us as we face it and will help us to experience it in a way that we can emerge victorious and in a way that we can not only be a blessing to ourselves, but perhaps even to others who may be facing the same. This evening, where do you and I then stand in terms of the God of all comfort? As we close that lesson, it ends by the Bible encouraging us to allow God to reign supreme in our life in such a way that He is the God of all comfort and that we shall know that and be able to face whatever the difficulty or hardship in the way that would bring glory and honor to Him. That certainly must begin with the thought of, are you a Christian? For you might note that in any of these promises we studied about this evening, the promise had to do to those that walked with the Lord. If you aren't a Christian, you don't have those promises. They are not yet yours. Rather, you still stand aloof from them. You have never entered the marvelous fold of God's security. If tonight you have realized that you're outside that and need to enter it for the first time, the entrance requirements are not stated by me or our elders. They were given by Jesus himself. He said you must believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John 8, verse 24. You must repent of the sins in your life. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. You furthermore are demanded of God to confess the name of Christ his Son in a verbal way in hearing of others, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, and then to be baptized for the remission of sins. That statement of Mark 16, 16 reminds us of the urgency of that baptism. And tonight, if you need to respond in faith to that, we'd be happy to assist you. If you have become a Christian, but no longer are a faithful one, maybe some of these matters touched very close to home for you. Maybe you need to revisit your attitude, your perspective, and your thinking 
Allow the Word of God to begin to make those changes. But first, you might need to allow others to know that you're making a change in your life. If we could make assistance by praying on your behalf according to the pattern of Acts 8 as well as the examples to be found in 1 John 1, we'd be happy to do that. We would only ask you to let us know in what way we can be of assistance and that you do that while together we stand and while we sing.